There are a few things that I delight in quite as much as uh, on a Sunday morning seeing groups of people who are willing to sit quietly before the Lord and wait on Him. Um, I don't know what it is, man. That does something deep in my heart. Um, I just had that vision this morning of Him just washing me. And I don't know what He's doing in your heart today. Um, But I assure you that nothing that I have to say or that happens today is going to surpass what has already happened. He speaks by His Word, but He speaks by His presence and His Spirit. He really, really delights when we come before Him with worship on our lips and when our hearts are connected to His heart, right? The prophet Isaiah said, these people, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Something happens when our hearts get close to His heart um, and when I'm not fighting for my way and I'm not fighting um, to do things in my strength and my energy, but when I'm both worshiping Him with my mouth and my heart is echoing everything that my lips are saying, something different happens. And I think um, part of what we experienced this morning is a group of people in the house who have cultivated a worship that goes past their lips to their hearts. And this is what Jesus said, I'm looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. Like a day's coming when the building won't matter, is what he was telling the the woman, the Samaritan woman. A a day is coming when it's not going to matter if you're on that hill or the other. I want people who can worship in spirit and truth. And so I hope this morning that you were equally surprised by his nearness and his, his grace, his kindness. Uh, that He is with us. How many of you know God loves to visit churches on Sunday mornings? <laughs> In some places, He's actually welcome. Um, and so, and I don't say that to be ugly, but sometimes we think that just because we're in the church, that means that Jesus is welcome. Isn't that sad? Okay. Um, I want to speak out of uh, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 12 this morning. That's the plan right now. We'll see how it goes. Um, Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, Let me open this because I spend like eight minutes opening a water every sermon and then never actually drink it. I just twist it in front of your faces for forever. Mm. Thank you. Hey, team that led this morning, thank you. Really. Thank you. Um, Really quickly, in two weeks, we are going to take a Sunday and we're going to mobilize our whole church into homes. Now, that is wildly inconvenient if you're not very connected. Um, And for those of you who are new believers, like you're new to faith, you're wrestling with what it means to belong to Jesus, or you're just new to this church and like relationships, like I, I think of recent Katrina, like brand new to the area it's really hard to feel like, man, I want to take that extra step and go to be in somebody's home or meet with people outside of Sunday morning in this building because these become kind of like safe spaces for people. Can I encourage you, um, over the next two weeks, we need to lock in all of those of you who are open to hosting in your homes, um, hosting people in, or maybe you would just like to meet with people at a coffee shop or a restaurant and just share your life and what Jesus is doing. We want to encourage you to take that step so that we can connect people in homes and groups all over the community on Sunday the 23rd. And so we really need to know this week so that we can help communicate to everybody. Um, I was reminded this week by my friend Carla that there are a lot of people who are new in their faith who for them that feels like an impossibility. 
And so can we just speak that out loud so that maybe it's a little easier to get closer to it? Um, that if you're newer or maybe you're just not deeply connected here and that feels a little dangerous to go hang out with a smaller group of people and talk about the Lord, uh, we want to make that really normal for you and simple and we want to clearly communicate as much as possible. Is that cool? Um, and so this week, if you're willing to like gather a group of people inside or outside of your home, maybe you want to do it at somebody else's home, whatever, like we'll figure it out. But will you just reach out to me this week so that we can get that all together? Everybody good? Okay, we'll do the rest of the announcements after. Um, James chapter 1, uh, verse 5. Just a quick recap. James is talking about, uh, he, he's talking to the 12 tribes. He's talking to people who were once Jewish, but then began to follow the man Jesus, who was resurrected from the dead. Um, and because of their faith in Christ, they fell under deep persecution, and they were scattered all over the known world at the time. And James is writing this letter, perhaps the first letter of the New Testament. James is known to be the half-brother of Jesus, also Jude, half-brother of Jesus. So there are two books in the New Testament where Jesus' own siblings actually says he is Lord and Christ, which is like a radical statement. But he is teaching us what it means to be a people here in chapter 1, what it means to persevere under trial and to see perseverance and endurance and maturity of faith built in us as people. Right, um, And that we can actually live in joy and live in confidence in God no matter what we're enduring in the moment because Jesus has already purchased our salvation and our joy. I can lean into joy even in the hardest trials of my life because I have Jesus. I have him. Um, and he teaches me how to both live in joy and to be resilient, to come through very difficult things without a hard heart. And if you've been through some hard things, then you know that is a miracle to come through hard things with a heart that is still tender before him. And this is the fruit of what it looks like to be with Jesus. And may our church be that. Man, that when people f see you in the community, when they experience your life, that the first thing they say is, man, that person knows how to endure hard things and is so tender and kind and merciful. That can only be the touch of Jesus. What would it be like if that was what people experienced from the church in Columbus? Man, those people know how to endure hard stuff, and they are so tender and joyful. Pooh. Okay, so we're going to continue this week um, in chapter 1. James actually finishes what we read last week in verse 4. He says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But then in verse 5, listen to what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, but if any of you lacks wisdom, what does that tell us? It tells us that he is still talking about trials and testing and in the middle of your trial and testing, he's talking about what you need in the middle of this thing. In the middle of a trial that is taking you to the end of yourself, what you need more than anything is wisdom. Continuing on, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. 
Let's pause here. James says that wisdom is a tool that we need if we are going to develop perseverance and mature faith. In the middle of trial and crisis, not on the backside of it where you ask for wisdom, dead in the middle of it when you are facing all sorts of raging storms and uncertainties and things that cause your confidence to wane, he says what you desperately need is wisdom. Why? Because it's there in the middle of a trial that we are faced with impossible choices that have scary outcomes. And in those moments, what we need is access to a deeper understanding and base of knowledge than just how I feel. And hear me, I'm, I'm 40, my, my generation and below, we have somehow anointed our feelings as the captains of our life and we continue to be led down disastrous paths because of the way that we feel. And he says, in these moments of crisis, what you need to guide and instruct and lead you is not more feeling. We need wisdom. And when we're making decisions under pressure, we don't just need more strategy or more money, as we'll see in verses 9 through 11. We don't need more intelligence or more influence necessarily. What we need is wisdom. And wisdom is the instruction of the Lord that leads to life. It's, it's God's insight into a matter that leads me to the good way that leads to wholeness and health and life. You know, in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon is anointed the king over Israel. And God comes to him in a dream and he says, ask me for whatever you want. Now let's just be real honest here on a Sunday morning. If God comes to you in a dream and he says, ask me for whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Hands down. Fellas, Troy. He says, like, whatever you want, then certainly in that moment, all of us can start to populate our hearts with the things that would crop up quick. What is the deep longing and desire of your heart? And in that moment, Solomon, looking over this new role that he has been given, he says, Lord, in, in verse 9, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. Give me whatever, or I'll give you whatever you want. Ask me for whatever you want. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. This has been a prayer I've prayed for years um, because I don't know how to choose right from wrong without Him. Are you like that? There's sometimes where I think things are right and they're not. Or I think things are wrong and they're not. I can't distinguish right and wrong without his leadership and guidance. It is only Jesus who knows. When Jesus came and he walked among the Pharisees and the people of his day, they thought he was wrong. They killed him. The, the author of righteousness, the author of life, they looked at him and said, you're wrong. Jesus is the only one who can teach my heart to discern between right and wrong. In the moment when I'm in trial, when I'm feeling everything welling up over me, um, uh, the storms brooding over me, my quickest reaction is to choose the wrong things and call them right. And Solomon says, give me wisdom so that I can discern right from wrong. And friends, when we're faced with trials and opposition and even promotion, Solomon is in a moment of promotion where he's advancing. He recognizes that what he needed most and what we need most is wisdom to discern what is right from wrong and what leads to life. 
Wisdom is God's solutions to the complex problems we face done in God's way. Are you with me? God's solutions to the complex problems we face done in God's ways. The American Heritage Dictionary defines it as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, and lasting. To get wisdom in the midst of a crisis means that we have to get up higher than the situations and the moment that we're in. I have to be able to uh, climb above the cloud line. Any of you ever read Lord of the Rings? Anybody? Or The Hobbit? You know, there's this moment, if, if not, you're like sci-fi nerd. That's what you're saying to me right now. Get off me, okay? Jesus loves it and so do I. Um, yeah, off. There's this moment where um, Bilbo Baggins is in this wooded area and he's being attacked and he climbs this tree, pokes his head out over the top of the tree line and he can see clearly. And then he descends back into the darkness so that he can find his way. What, what wisdom does, what wisdom demands is that we get up high enough to see farther than what's right in front of us. Because when I live my life according to what's right in front of me, I will always go left when I need to go right. I don't have clarity and longevity of view to understand, to discern what it is that the Lord's doing and where he's calling me to go. And for some of you today, you are in a dark place and you are surrounded and you are making Quick, temporary decisions based on what's in front of your face. And God says, get up higher. Get up higher. You're going to have to look farther. You're going to have to trust me for this entire journey, not just this secondary journey of what's right in front of you. If you judge just by what appears before you, you're going to judge wrong. And there's mercy there. We've all judged wrong. But he invites us into something that is better. See, we, we have to get up higher than the situation and we have to slow down and we have to learn to look farther. I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in pain, I move quick. And I be, get really, really short-sighted. Most of our decisions in hardship or crisis lead us to make quick decisions to get us out of pain Fast. But remember why James says that we need wisdom, so that we can develop perseverance. What is it that wisdom empowers us to do here? He empowers us to develop perseverance. Wisdom is able to look past the quick out, to look past the shortcut to my pain, to whatever I'm facing, so that I can actually learn how to endure pressure for the long haul. That's what perseverance is. Perseverance is to be able to stand up under the weight of adversity over long periods of time. And can I be honest with you? This is one of the most countercultural things for those of us in the West, and particularly in faith. We, we've created an entire culture around getting out of pain fast, and it's killing us. Isn't that a paradox? I will move toward anything to get me out of pain. Just jump into divorce and leave that marriage. It's a little bit edgy. Are you with me? And I'm not saying there's not a moment. Hear, hear my heart. We go through pain and we kind of uh, use addictive methods, opioids, alcohol. Or you're struggling with stress and we go home and learn how to dope it up with Netflix or pornography or sexually illicit relationships. Are you with me? 
I'm just looking for some coping thing to get me out of pain. It's killing us. It's killing us. God is teaching us here that often the quick solution is the wrong solution. And that wisdom is the tool that enables me to learn the gift of perseverance that I can stand up under the weight of adversity without being crushed. And God can mature a faith in me that can stand in the middle of a trial or a testing situation without leading me into despair, but it leads me to joy. Only wisdom helps us to cultivate a long view of who we're becoming. Only wisdom allows us to see the decisions or the outcomes of what we choose to do. And the other thing that wisdom accomplishes is that it teaches us to wait on God's voice in a situation and to honor His Word. See, when I'm moving so fast, I make decisions according to what I think is best. And in moments of trial and testing, some of you hear me, you are in very real moments of trial and testing in your marriages and finances and home and ministry and business, whatever. And you feel like you have to make fast decisions to get out of this thing. And I'm telling you, you need to slow down and hear the word of the Lord. Because the, the wisdom of God, the search for wisdom, when you hunker down, you trust the Lord to actually lead your life. He's going to speak some things. And when you live according to that and you honor His Word, you invite God's presence and His provision and His power into the midst of your circumstance. It's like tithing in Sabbath. Are you with me? This idea of waiting on the Lord. In tithing, I say God can do more with my 90 than I can do with my 100. I can do more with six days with the Lord than I can do with seven by myself. You with me? And waiting on the Lord in the midst of a trial says, I'm going to screw this up if I go on my own. I'm waiting on Him to hear His word, His instruction over the situation. And I won't leave this place until I get it because I know that even if I feel delayed, even if I feel diminished, even if I feel like I'm having to develop patience and perseverance and I'm struggling and I'm frustrated, I can do more with Him and He's going to lead me to life than I can do quickly to get out on my own. Are you with me? Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 through 11 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. Listen to that. The Psalm, the, the, um, Solomon writes in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord, seeing the Lord clearly, is actually the starting point of wisdom. I can learn how to persevere under the weight of adversity when I trust in the Lord, when I see Him clearly. It is acknowledging what he is saying and how he is leading me to walk out my life. When I put my hope in him, it's going to change the direction of my decisions. But if I'm not looking to him, I will constantly look to the ground and make the quickest decision possible. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 says, Don't forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Listen to that. Though it costs you everything, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. Wisdom. Go get it. And folks, hear me. If you're in a crisis today, in any of the situations of your life, I just want to encourage you to slow down and to stand still and to ask God what pleases you. Because good decisions are rarely made in a hurry. All right.
Now notice James takes a moment to address God's character as he's talking about wisdom. And this is important because when we're in difficult moments, I've seen it a lot working with just kind of young adults and college students through the years. Whenever somebody hits a crisis, the first thing they do is say, God, why are you doing this to me? As though every crisis in your life came out of God's hand. Now look, we have a saying, and it's probably all over our culture. I know for sure it's in the South. Um, And the saying goes something like this, everything happens for a reason. Now, I just want to challenge that this morning. I don't believe that that's true, not in the way that we say it. What we often believe is that whatever we do and whatever is done to us, that everything comes out of God's hand. But are we reading the same Bible where there is like a Satan who is a demon, he's the, the spirit of darkness who comes to kill you, right? And there's also just... Um, people who are lost in sin. We live in a world that is broken in sin. And so can we just talk to that for a second? Um, There are some things that come directly from God. Absolutely. There there are moments in the scripture where you back up and you go, man, that, that judgment or God's word on that thing, it came directly from him. It wasn't from somebody else. It didn't, it wasn't bypassed through some kind of demonic thing. God spoke it and it happened. And then there are moments where God allows things to come to pass. Where am I? Uh, (laughs) Where God allows things to come to pass for our growth or our deliverance or for his glory. Right? There's a moment where the the little boy has the spirit and he says, you know, did did he sin or was it his parents? And he said, neither. Neither. This is for the Lord's glory. I'm going to showcase my glory through this kid. And some are just from the enemy or broken people around us. And then there's this other category that we just don't like to talk about. That much of our trouble is just from ourselves. Right? James will say later in the book, you are dragged away when your own evil desires enticed you. You, You've cultivated this monster inside that pulls you down a path. And then when you get down that path, you say, God, why did you lead me here? And he goes, I didn't lead you here. (laughs) I'm trying to deliver you. The entire work of the Lord is to deliver you out of darkness and to set you in light. The entire work of the Lord is to save you and redeem you. He is, he is infatuated with your freedom. He's infatuated with your freedom. He, he's not leading you down dark paths. He always leads you into the light and puts you on stable ground. The work that I often find is my own, is my own work, is my own suffering way of dealing with things. It's not God. And so James takes a moment and he addresses God's character. Because if you're in a trial this morning, chances are you're saying, God, where are you and why have you brought me here? And even though we know it theoretically, when we hit our moment, we also ask the same questions. Is your character the same as it was before this? And if your character changes on the basis of my situation, perhaps you're not God, I am. So what is God's character? What is his posture when you do ask for wisdom? Here it is. God loves to give us wisdom generously, and he doesn't find fault with you. Interesting. You may be here today and you may actually be in a trial because of your own sin or stupidity. Congratulations, you're amongst a bunch of people who have done the exact same thing. 
Like, I am here because of the decisions that I have made. But listen to what James says. Even you can ask God for wisdom, and he will still give it to you, and generously, and he won't withhold it even if you're at fault. He's not looking for your fault in the matter. When you turn in repentance and humility and say, God, I need your wisdom, he loves to give it. He loves to give wisdom to those who earnestly seek him. Guys, we don't serve a chintzy God who only instructs us and leads us when we get it just right. Are any of y'all wired like that in your brain? Like God is only going to lead me if I make all the right decisions. Can I just confess to you my brain naturally works that way? I have to like kill that thing? He, he, he says that he delights to give us wisdom. He delights in those who humble themselves before him. I don't think there's anything that brings a bigger smile to his face than when we come to him in our stupidity and say, God, I'm so sorry. I messed this up so bad. Will you help me? I think he says, absolutely. I have a hundred percent of the time. Some of you are here today and you think I have gone too far and my heart has gotten too hard. God is not going to turn toward me. He says, lift up your eyes, humble yourself and look to me. I love to reward you generously with the wisdom. I love to. And maybe you have felt like, man, God is withholding something. He's not. He's not. Come to him humbly. He delights to give it to you. So whether your trial is from the enemy or from someone else or even from the, own, the mess that you made yourself, humble yourself today and ask for wisdom because the promise is that he will give it, but with one condition, right? Look at verse six. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Man, James is going for the throat. We have tried to make doubt um, a, a kitten and it's a tiger. Our culture has treated it like it's a kitten. We camouflage it often as humility. Just this idea that I just, I, I'm not really sure. I can't fully know. Just a couple quick notes on doubt. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Uh, for those of you note takers in the house, I love you. Uh, we've got some reference verses on the screen behind you. Um, Matthew chapter 14, verse 31. Matthew chapter 21, verse 21. And Jude 1, 22, all speak to the nature of doubt. Now hear me. We don't have it. Okay, it's good. I'm going to read them out loud. I'll give you guys time. Doubt is a product of the flesh that leads me to believe that I can't trust the Lord. Doubt is never from the Lord. Doubt is a product of my flesh that leads me to believe I can't trust Him. It is the fruit of fear and unbelief. What God said, I'm not, I'm not quite sure if he's going to fulfill it. What God said about himself, I'm not quite sure if he's stable enough to fulfill what he said. Regardless of his track record, regardless of his history, regardless of his uh, redemptive work all throughout my life, I'm not quite sure that what God said, he's going to fulfill. It's rooted in fear and unbelief. Jude tells us that we have to be gentle with others' doubts, but ruthless against our own. Hear me, in the church, we are going to see and face doubt. So the way that I deal with Justin's doubt, 
I scared you, has to be tender and gentle, right? But when it comes to me, I need to put it down like a rabid dog. Are you with me? And here, if you're not sure if it's doubt, check the fruit. He says, doubt makes us double-minded and unstable. When I was a kid, we, uh, we, I got to go to this like special class in town because of my grades or whatever. And they did these weird science projects. And they had this chicken that was like a two-headed chicken with three legs. Some kind of mutant chicken. Yeah. Can you imagine... That chicken just wanted to make a decision to go left, and the other one was like, I want to go right, you know, just all day long tearing at each other. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I have a twin brother that's on the, the card, the bingo card. Um, we'll talk about it later. There's actually a grant bingo card of th- things that I say on Sundays, and my staff abuses me with it. They're like, you said this and this and this. That's from Roman. And no, we're not passing it out. Okay? Okay? Um, I, I often think, like, what if me and my brother were Siamese twins, you know, like conjoined? And because we're very different, we would be going opposite directions all the time. <clears throat> he says, when you operate in doubt, you are double-minded. You, you live on the heights of faith in one moment and in the pits of despair the next. You know anybody like that? You've been that person before? Me too. Well, I just feel like I have all this trust in the world. It's just an emotional roller coaster. All this trust, none at all. Slinking into my own responses, jumping back into all the things that I did in the past to cope and to fix from one thing to the next. Doubt makes me double-minded and unstable. He says, you're like a wind being blown by the sea. I don't know if you've been out deep. I went deep sea fishing once. It was, I was green the whole time. I'll never go again. <laughs> Fish are great. They can stay in the ocean. I don't care. I can buy them at the store, okay? It's unstable. The waters are unstable. It causes you to be sick. Are you sick of being sick? Are you sick of being double-minded, going left and then going right and then changing your mind and then making one decision and going back again? The Lord is the most stable, consistent person in the universe. He never changes. Never changes. Often I find when I'm dealing with people, and this is particular to folks often in addiction or in relationships where they're cyclical, they tend to stay on this roller coaster and believe that God is also on the roller coaster. And I say, hey, you're on a roller coaster. God's on the ground. To see what he sees and to trust his faithfulness, to have confidence in who he is, you got to get off the roller coaster because he is stable and consistent. He's steady. Right? James says you are unstable um, and you are double-minded when you're living in doubt. Lastly, on wisdom, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says that Jesus of Nazareth is the mystery of God in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Can I tell you that I think when we actually pray and ask God for wisdom, what we get is not this like item from God we get the presence and the leadership and the guidance of Jesus. And the way that that comes to us is not in physical body. That is in the Holy Spirit who always leads me and guides me into all truth and reminds me of everything that Jesus has said. 
When I beg God for wisdom, what he gives me is a generous portion of his spirit. He allows me to be led by and guided by his Holy Spirit who only leads me to life. Right, The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, faithfulness and self-control. There's this whole list of things that happen when I'm under the guidance and the leadership of the Spirit. And so if I'm not sure, ask yourself, am I growing in the fruit of the Spirit? And if I'm not, perhaps I'm not under the leadership of the Spirit. Perhaps I'm under my own leadership. And I'm a terrible leader. To lead myself, I'm a terrible leader. To be self-governed, I always lead toward harshness and critique. I always lead towards trying to measure myself too much. God has a different kind of um, leadership, right? He is our master. He's the ruler who knows, how to, who knows how to lead us through trials. All right, verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, I'll just read it again because we're from America and our ears hear a certain way. Believers in humble circumstances, read poor. Believers in poor circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. James writes that trials and suffering, he's still talking about trials and suffering, right? How do we deal with with hardship? And he says, people who are poor, you guys ought to be um, elated. And people who are rich... This is going to lead to humiliation if your trust is there. He says that our trials and suffering expose what our hope is really in. It's why the believer in humble circumstances can take pride in their honored position. Why? Because their hope is in the Lord who honors those who fear Him. So when I go through a trial and I don't have anything in my pocket to quickly cope with the situation, I am forced to lean on Jesus. And when I feel like this is my security, which you can say I have literally no money in it, right? There's some cards, fake money. When I lean on this and I face trials and suffering and I try to build the solution to that problem on top of this thing, it says the heat will scorch that up and you will wither and what's left is humiliation. Listen to it. Trials can be a gift because they teach us where our trust is and where it should be. Some of you are in the midst of the trial right now and you're saying, Lord, I don't quite understand what's going on. Or you are fighting to figure out where your foundation is set in this moment. And God is giving you the gift of clarity. In the middle of hardship, when people disappear, yes, when, when people disappear, when stuff doesn't get easy, when money is tight, you learn what is the only foundation that doesn't move. And if you build your life on any other foundation, you are as unstable as the person who just lives in doubt. It, it, it's an interesting thing for us. 
He says you will burn up like a wildflower. You'll be pretty one moment, but gone the next. Trials have a way of clarifying things. But if we build our life on Christ, and if we live in humility, even when trials and suffering come, you can take pride in your high position, which is what? What is that high position? It is this, that you are a child of God who has never forgotten that your name is written on the palm of his hand, that Jesus lives to intercede for you day and night, and that he watches over those who fear him. He never takes his eyes off of you. On your worst day, you are not alone, and he is not finished with you. This doesn't ensure us that we won't go through hard things. It ensures that when we do, we go through it with him. Going before me and behind me, underneath me and over me, he protects me, he overshadows me, he guides me. But if I build my life strictly on notoriety or fame or money or whatever, that will be burnt up just like that when opposition and persecution come. Are you with me? Choose Him. He's showing us the stability of a life built on Him and Him alone. And so I just want to ask you today, where's your hope? What have you truly built your life on? And what is the Spirit showing you about the trial that you're standing in today? Perhaps you have been like a wave being tossed by the wind. Perhaps you have anxiously been moving from one thing to another, hoping that the next thing would fix the circumstance that you're you're sitting in. But I believe that God is inviting you to ask for wisdom. And here's my deep conviction. Wisdom really is Jesus. I read Proverbs 8, I can't help but to just read Jesus. He was before the foundations of everything. He was with God. It sounds like John 1, doesn't it? He was with God in the beginning. By Him all things were created. This, This is Jesus. He teaches us how to always move towards life and wholeness and freedom. So friend, don't settle for something that won't last. For some of you today... Hear me, you're in the moment where you just want to grab a hold of that thing that you know will burn up. It won't last. It won't lead you to life or freedom. And God says, I'm inviting you into something better. But you're going to have to slow down and get up higher and look farther. And set your eyes on me. You know, the thing that really, really strikes me about this is that the way of wisdom, 1 Corinthians uh, 1 let me just read it. First uh, Corinthians 1, 20. And I don't have it on the screen, so hopefully you got your Bible or your phone open. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Listen to that. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. You know, the way of wisdom will always lead us to a crucified life. It will always lead us to lay down our preferences and our desires once again and to say, Lord, what do you desire? Maybe today you have pulled yourself off of that cross, 
Paul writes that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. But maybe today you're pulling yourself off of that place and saying, I'm going to do this thing my way. I'm tired of dying to self. And the Lord is saying that this, this pursuit of wisdom will always lead you to surrender your preference, to join him in this cruciform life where you lay those things down and trust God to bring about the long solution his way. Are you with me? It's a life of surrender. In verse 12, if you do this, this is the blessing that he speaks over us. He says, blessed or abundantly happy, like you're going to be so happy, is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen to that. Having stood the test. Some of you are sitting here today and you are in the middle of a test. And you feel like, man, I don't know if I can make it. Perhaps the greatest thing that you can know leaving this place today is that you are not alone and that God wants to meet you in the midst of your crisis and what you're going through and he wants to give you the gift of wisdom and joy. Wisdom and joy. Because he is cultivating perseverance and maturity of faith and without it, you are still in lack but with it, you lack nothing. Let perseverance do its work. Pursue wisdom and getting a long view of what's going on in your life. Regardless, get God's view of what's happening and He will give you strength. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I want to read 1 Peter 1, 6-9 over you just in closing. Peter echoes the words of James here. And I'm going to read this, and then I just want to give you an opportunity. If you need wisdom and you need some people just to partner with you in prayer, we want to partner with you before you leave today. Some of you are in very real crises. I'm seeing it on your face. It looks like this. (laughs) When you talk about faith and confidence and your eyes tighten, it's like your whole face got puckered, you know? It's not small. We've all been there. I love being around people who have been there and are going through it again because their face looks different than it did last time. You know what I'm talking about? Like I'm looking at some of y'all this morning. I know you're in a testing of your faith and your eyes are still wide open. Saying, I've seen this. I know exactly what we have to do here. And so this morning, um, at, the, at the cost of maybe risking a little, I may ask a couple of you to come pray. Because... Um, There's something about the maturity of people who have been through fire and who can teach you how to walk through it also. 1 Peter 1, 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, listen, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, give us eyes to see your face and what you're doing in the midst of our trials. 
Jesus, we started today just by saying that you are worthy of it all. And that includes our trials and suffering. You were worthy of us walking this thing out well. And so, Lord, I pray that in the way we walk through trial and suffering, that it would be seen as worship and incense before your throne, that you would receive the glory from the way that we endure through pain and hardship. Father, we confess that we get tired and weak, and Lord, we run to old things. We, we run to old coping me- mechanisms, the gods of this land. Father, you are calling us out of that place of idolatry to learn deep satisfaction and how to trust you. Lord, I pray today for the confidence to climb back up on that cross. The cross that we laid down somewhere along the way to fight for ourselves and to fight for our way of seeing things and our way of doing things. Lord, we repent right now. Would you just take a moment and do that? If you've laid the cross down, the gospel is Jesus crucified. Lord, an anointed ruler of the world, murdered shamefully for the penalty of my sin. This is the gospel. He's calling you to himself right now. So Father, we confess that we are quick to lay down the burden of that cross and to pick up the burden of our sin again. Father, would you forgive us and cleanse us? Lord, we take up that cross again today. Thank you, Father. I feel like the Holy Spirit is really just putting a finger on some places where you have, um, you've gone back to some old coping mechanisms and ways of figuring your way out through this trial. Manipulation, control, money, gossip, and bad-mouthing, slandering people. Slander is murder. Rebellion is witchcraft. We broke agreement with those things when we came under the blood of Jesus. We can't pick them up again. Lust. Just like um, closing our eyes through entertainment. Lesser pleasures than Jesus. Disordered love. Father, we take up our cross again. We're reminded that it is only you, Jesus, it's only you that can lead us toward life. So we invite you. We invite you, Jesus. Brandon's got a bucket. Eddie and Carla, will y'all come and just pray over us in closing? Um, I was either going to do Brandon and Trish or Eddie and Carla. I got my answer. Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy to be praised from our place of pain, 
and fear. You are worthy. Jesus, you are worthy to be praised when things aren't finished and things aren't done and we don't see how that's going to happen. You are worthy to be praised from that place. Jesus, you are worthy from broken parts of our body and hearts and minds to be praised today, not after the healing comes, not later on when things are easier. We repent, Lord Jesus, of saying, I'll wait till you deal with this in me, Lord, and then I will praise you. Then I will say that you are worthy. You are worthy in the middle of frustration and horrible emotions and unfinishedness and physical pain and difficult, painful relationships. We will praise you from there. Those things will praise you, Jesus. We take our souls and we say, shh, praise the Lord today in this, Jesus we, br- we bless these people. We bless your beautiful sheep. We bless each one to stand up and to say, in the middle of my pain and unfinishedness, and I don't know how this is going to work out or how he or she is going to end up, it, I'm not waiting for that. You are worthy. And from that place, that thing praises you. Lord, bless us to grow up. Bless us to stay crucified. You are worthy. Amen. Amen. Eddie didn't have anything, so he just... Eddie, will you... Lord Jesus, you are beautiful. We ask you, Lord, that your face would shine upon us and that you would turn our faces up to you. Lord, we commit to you this week and ourselves. We ask that you would fill us and empower us. Lord, that you would make us your witnesses to the ends of the earth this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org.